New Species, the podcast where we talk to scientists about their discoveries of organisms that are new to science, but not necessarily new to nature. We talk to the authors of these studies to get behind-the-scenes stories, to talk about why these discoveries should matter to everyone, not just scientists, and to help people better understand the wonderful biodiversity of our planet. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash new species podcast. You're listening to New Species, the podcast where I talk to scientists about their discoveries of new species that they recently described. I'm your host, Brian Patrick, and today I'm joined by Dr. Roberto Garibe Uriel, a researcher at Universidad Nacional Autónoma de Mexico. He's here today to talk to us about his recent paper in Phytotaxa. In this paper, he and his co-authors describe a new species of elfin saddle, an edible cup fungus from Mexico. Welcome, Roberto. Welcome, Brian. Thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you on here. And as we were discussing before this started, you will be the first non-animal that I've had on the podcast, and I'm very excited for that. And let's start just right into this. So what exactly are these mushrooms? They they're typically fall into a group we call the cup fungi, ascomycotes. And this is something called, in, in the common names I found by looking at Wikipedia, elfin saddle. Tell us a bit about these things. Yes, um, the cup fungi uh, belong to the Pesicillus order. It is a huge order. It has like uh, uh, 700 species. And uh, uh, we should know that ascomycetes in general are microscopic. But uh, the, the pesicillus, most of them are macroscopic. So they produce the spores in a fruit body that has uh, the shape of uh, a cup. But sometimes this cup becomes folded and more complex. So the genera we are talking about, Helvella, is a kind of uh, a cup very folded, so so it has a more complex morphology. Yeah, and it, it gets so folded that it even, uh, apparently, sometimes it looks like an ear, or some people say it looks a little bit like a saddle. Yes. Right? And because they're very small, people thought, well, that looks like something a little tiny elf could ride. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is that yes. is that correct? Yes, yes. Indeed, uh, indeed uh, some of them are so folded, uh, so, some pesicillas are so folded as the morals. So many people know the morals. They are edible fungi. And uh, yeah. so, so they, they are very folded, like many, many little cups together. Yeah, yeah. So the morels that we find here in North America, uh, it, commonly here, in, even in my area, we get those. And so what color are these? How, how tall are they? How, what color are they? They are very Generally. Yes, they are very variable. So we, we have a, a very small cups, like two, three millimeters. And, and they can be very bright. They can be white, uh, sorry, yellow, orange, red, bright. But sure. they, they also can be uh, relatively big, like, like the Elbella or, or, or Morels, they, they, because they can have like 20 centimeters. 20 centimeters. Um, and, uh, and these species, the bigger ones, are not so bright colored. They are like, uh, they can be whitish or brown or grayish grayish or dark uh, brown or dark uh, black as the species that we are this, uh, describing now. It is uh, very dark brown or dark uh, black. Okay, great. And 20 centimeters for those of us in the United States, that's around 8 to 10 inches. 
So these are pretty good size mushrooms yes. we're talking about. These are not small things. And these are what I think most people don't understand is when we talk about a mushroom, that's the fruiting body is what we call that, right? Exactly. So we're only looking at the reproductive structures. The rest of the fungus can be quite large underground. Yes, yes. Uh, vegetative uh, part of the mushroom is uh, beneath the soil. And some, some uh, and, and, and this is formed by little structures called mycelia. And the mycelia can be huge. There are some fungi that uh, the mycelia can occupy several hectares. Uh, several, uh, yes, hectares, you say that? Hectares, but, uh, yeah. Hectares. Or, and that's two, about two and a half acres in the exactly. American terms. But yeah, exactly. but, but several the, hectares, yeah. The, the biggest known living organism is a mushroom occupying like 20 hectares. Yeah, 20 hectares, or if you were to multiply that up, that's about 50 acres over which you could find this thing underground, right? They live in the yes. soil structure. Mm -hmm. yes. And it's not something where you just dig it up and go, oh, here's mushroom. This is little fine hair-like structures moving through it that most people would not be able to see, right? Yes, they are microscopic. How big have you, have you been able to investigate for this new species that we're going to talk about? How big does it get? Have you been able to find, get an idea of the subterranean size? No, we have, we have not done that. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if you had, given that it's new and it's it's the fruiting bodies are how we always do the identifications yes. unless you, you can get molecular work, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Excellent, yeah. Do we have any idea what, what this particular new species or any of the ones in the genus are doing ecologically? Yes, we know very well. In general, the, the cup fungi can uh, have uh, different ecological strategies. Some of them are saprobic fungi, some of them are pathogenic. And what does saprobic mean? Uh, they decompose organic matter. Okay. Yes. Uh, some of them are uh, pathogens of plants. Pathogens, okay. Yes. Uh, but this particular one, the Helvella genius, is ectomycorrhizal. That means that the, the little uh, mycelia of, of these fungi that are in the soil, they uh, associate with, uh, with the roots of trees and uh, go uh, inside the, the roots of the trees and form what we know as a mycorrhiza. And the mycorrhiza is a very important structure because the tree gives uh, sugar from the photosynthesis to the mushroom, and the mushroom gives nitrogen and phosphorus and other, other nutrients, also water, to the plant. So this is a kind of, of uh, symbiosis where both, uh, both uh, members benefit. And, and indeed, uh, the, the, these trees and these mushrooms can't live without the, these partners. So it's an obligate symbiosis. So it's very important for the ecosystem function. Oh, great. And, and I just want to clarify for people who are listening, we're talking about these fungal associations with roots. Recent studies have shown that as much as 70% or more of plants have these fungal associations with their roots. Some of them, as you say, are obligate, so they must be together. And other ones are helpful uh, to the plants, including in agricultural systems, where they can help the, the, the agricultural plants grow, the cultivated plants grow. I want to touch on something you just said there. You said these are obligate yes. uh, symbiosis. So the species they're associated with is, is, the, is Abes religiosa, the, the sacred fir tree is what we would call that in English. So you're saying that, that those trees cannot live without this fungus? The, the fungus can't live without the tree, for sure, ah. for sure. 
and the tree uh, behaves very bad if he has not the fungi. So, so the trees can uh, live without the fungi, but, but they do not uh, get enough nutrients from the soil. And so they're just very unhappy yes, without very the fungi unhappy, association. Very unhappy, and, yeah. and, and, and uh, they are uh, very like, likely to die in dry, in, in dry years or, or in other events. Right, and because these fungi can go out and get additional nutrients and even additional water yes. to bring to the tree, the tree, it's almost like having an extended root system, exactly. right? Exactly, that, that's it, an extended root system. Uh, but not, not, just, not just extended, more efficient. Because, right, be, right. because, the, because the, the roots are, are, very, are very big to explore the whole soil. It, but the mycelia are small enough to explore all the tiny pores in the soil and take all the nutrients and all the water from them. Right. And they're just basically these mycelia that we're talking about are just basically uh, cells stacked like a like like a pearl necklace, just one after another in a long line. So they can go out one cell thick and go very, very far that way. Correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. You talk in the paper then that these are associated with the sacred fir tree or, or Abes religiosa. And they're typically consumed on a couple of major holidays there, particularly the Day of the Dead and occasionally around Christmas, right? Is there a particular reason? Well, this, this are, um, this, this fungi are one of the most, uh, uh, looked for edible fungi in the forest. So, so they are consumed the, the whole rainy season. Um, f maybe from and that's fr from what about August until from December? Maybe from from yes, I, I would say maybe July, but the, the the main season will be August to to December, and uh, so they are sold in large quantities in the in the markets uh, of of central Mexico, but uh, these particular species are not fleshy. Uh, then they can be dried very very easily. So, so you can dry them. People used to, uh, to, to pass, a, uh, to pass a nail within the, 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 the mushrooms and make like a, a necklace and put, oh, okay. uh, yes, and, and, uh, put to them drying to the sun. So, so they do not rot because they are not fleshy and they, they can be, uh, um, stored for a long time. So it's very con common to have large quantities of them, and then uh, you can use them for for the future. But so this is one of the reasons they are used in these festivities. The, the other one is that uh, one of of the common names of of these fungi, because they are white and black and their folded uh, shape, people also n name them like schools. And dry it, they, they also look like little bones. So, so, so they have a, this shape association with, with schools, with, with um, bones. And they are offered to the dead people when they are coming in, in, in the dead of the day. But not, but together with other food, together with the, all the food that the dead people liked in that, in that occasions. Sure. So they're offering them to them because they, they look like bones when they're all dried yes. out in addition to other, yes, yes. other parts of that. So that's fascinating. And these are growing with this other with this tree species, and they're not easy to collect, are they? How do you get these? Where, where do you find them? Okay, so 
once you are in the forest, they are easy to collect because they are abundant. The, the, the problem is getting there. Because this, yeah, the forest the, is very this, difficult yes, to reach, yes, right? Because these forests are like uh, like three thousand meters above sea level. In, in, in so nine or ten thousand feet. These are very high altitudes. Yes. So so we are talking about the highest mountains in the central of Mexico, and uh, this this uh, and, and also Mexico is uh, very deforested. So so the remnant uh, good forests, the remnant conservated forests, are not not uh, necessarily close to roads. So people has to walk uh, long distances to get to good places, but uh, once you get to a, a good place, a good place to a conserved forest, then you can find it very abundantly. So so, and they are big and they are tall. So finding them is not uh, difficult, uh, but uh, there are not so many good forests producing them. Yeah. So they they. Habitat is being lost, yes. right, for a, a variety of reasons. Yes. And but once you get to those habitats, they're relatively easy to find. The problem is getting to ten thousand feet without a road. Yes. <laughs> right. Three thousand meters without a road. Yeah, that would be challenging. And do do you have any stories from the field of trying to collect these, or did you just work only on museum collections, or? Indeed, oh, we we collect a lot of uh, different edible mushrooms. That that is the main focus of my lab. We study edible mushrooms and uh, ecology, the biology, and the culture around them. So so uh, these fungi in particular uh, are are more common in 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 uh, uh, when it's raining a lot and and um, there also can be a, lot, a very cold in that altitudes. So what is very common when you are looking for them is just to get very wet and very cold, but it's very satisfying to find them. And when when we find a lot, we can save some for the collections and save some for our stomach. <laughs> and so what what is your worst field experience having to go collect these mushroom these high altitude types of mushrooms? Do you have anything there? Everybody has that one story where they just think, oh, I never want to repeat this day. Once I used to be very, very confident about collecting mushrooms in, in heavy rain, but sometimes you can, you can have light storms and, uh, that can be very dangerous. So, so. So yeah, with lightning. Yes, with lightning. So sometimes if, if a lightning, uh, hits, uh, close, that's very frightening. And, and now, um, we, just as the, as the first time I, here aligning i just went went out of the forest because that's 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 very dangerous yeah but that that still can't be easy to just walk away when you're 4 hours up the side <laughs> of, of a mountain yes that, yes <laughs> <laughs> do you ever have to use climbing equipment or are you able to just no 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 you can normally go out there you're yes, on the yes it's just the, like a the... hiking activity yeah yeah because these these trees have to grow in soil so it's not just growing on bare rock yes of yes mm -hmm. And this 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 sacred fear forests are are very beautiful because there are very tall and, and very dense trees and the, the conservative forests are uh, one of the most beautiful forests in central Mexico and also they are the most uh, producing uh, uh, they, they uh, within all the all the temperate forests we have uh, sacred fear forests produce the most quantity of edible mushrooms of all. Oh wow! So there probably a lot of people up there looking for them. Yes, then. 
Yes, that's the problem. Uh, sometimes you go there and there are no mushrooms, but because people have already picked it up to for eating sure, or for selling. And the habitat is being lost at a pretty alarming rate. You note in the paper that it's decreased by about 40 or 50 percent in just the last 40 years, right? Yes, and, and but also uh, this tree uh, needs a lot of water. So, so because of climate change, uh, these forests are going to become drier. And uh, it is estimated that within the next 50 years, maybe the 90% of these forests are going to disappear. And so this is very, very problematic because uh, maybe you know that these forests, the sacred fir forests, are the, the winter refugee for monarch butterfly. So, so they are very important in, in, in a lot of uh, ecosystemic functions and uh, they are going to disappear because of climate change. Yeah, and as the climate does change and it's getting warmer, the, because these are at the tops of mountains, it's basically like an island with rising water where the, the, the proper temperature just goes up to a higher altitude and that gets to be more difficult with soil layers, moisture, and a, and a number of other factors, correct? Yes, yes. So, so this, uh, the populations that are going to survive are going to climb up the mountains, but they are close to the top of the mountain. So they're, maybe they're, there's they're, not much there's, further yeah, to go. Exactly. There's not, no, not where to go. But uh, maybe uh, the, the plan is to repopulate this species uh, within in, in the northern Mexico. So, so they, they because that there is colder. So, so there are some some plans to to replant populations of these species uh, northern than their natural range to save the species. Yeah, but will the butterflies find them? That's the new question, That's right? That's the question, yes. All right, and this paper that you wrote then, so we, we've kind of led towards all of this. This is part of two papers, actually. This is the second of two papers. The first one was in 2013. Can you tell us a little bit about the story that goes behind finding this species and how you determined it was a new species? Yes, uh, so we are talking about the Elbella lacunosa species complex. So, so a little context is that for many years, the species on mushrooms were defined uh, base, basically on, on morphological structures. So we had a species concept, uh, a morphological species concept. So everything that looks the same was given the same name. So, uh, so this species, Elbella lacunosa, was described in Europe, and uh, and everything that looked alike in the whole world was named Elbella lacunosa. But lately, I will say, in the last 20 years, uh, with the aid of molecular biology and phylogenetics, uh, we realized that uh, a lot of things that uh, look the same are indeed uh, different species. So now we have narrower species concepts and we understood that uh, most uh, ectomycorrhizal fungi species are continental, continentally endemic, restricted to one continent. So right. uh, when, when we realized that, we understood that uh, Elbella lacunosa uh, indeed wasn't an American species. So, so, and also the, the, the DNA sequences became to, to get together and, and, and analysis show all that, show us that there were at least maybe five species within this complex in North America. 
So in 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 2013, we describe it uh, together with uh, Noon Yungin. He was the first author of that paper, a colleague of in the University of California. We describe it two species of this complex from the USA, Elbella vespertina and Elbella adriophila. And, and yeah, and those are found along the west coast, yes, right? Exactly, along California and Oregon and maybe also in Washington. So uh, in that paper, the, the Mexican species wasn't described it because we have not enough material to do that. So so it it it, it uh, took us uh, some years to get the material, the the sequences, and to perform the analysis. And now we are describing the Mexican uh, counterpart of this uh, 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 species complex. And there's there there should be more of them as well, right? There, there's yes. it sounds like you say that there's at least two more that yes. are not yet described, yes, right? At, le- at least two more, yes. And so to summarize, you you there's this Helvula lacunosa species that was thought to be worldwide, and now that's just restricted. Is it just to Europe? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so now we're using DNA and other techniques to be able to look at these and, and understand that there's a lot of different species, even though they looked alike to the human eye, they're definitely def- different things. Are there any morphological characters at all that you can use to tell this new species from any of the previous ones, or are they just really that similar? They are uh, somewhat different, but also they are very variable. So so it, it, it is like... When you find that typical uh, representative of the species, maybe we, you could tell apart from 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 the other species. But wh- when you find a, a morphological variation, uh, you can you are going to be within the morphological variation of the other species. So that there are no clear boundaries between the species. So so the Bella Hokatoi, that that is the one that we are describing now. Is uh, is bigger than than Elbella lacunosa, the European one, but Elbella vespertina, the, uh, which associate with conifers in Western North America, is also very big, and uh, uh, the Mexican one, Hocato, is uh, maybe darker. Uh, uh, sometimes it's more darker than the other ones, but but also it can be light dark, so so it can be confused. So at this moment, I will say that the species concept that we are using is a phylogenetic species concept, but we are also using ecological and geographical data to tell, to tell apart the species. So uh, if you are in central Mexico in an obvious religiosa forest, for sure you are looking for the Bella Hocatoy. If you are in the western USA in a conifer forest, for sure you are looking Elbella vespertina. And if you are in the in the western USA in a Kirkus forest, in an oak forest, you are looking for Elbella driophila. But if you put me the three together, it will be very <laughs> different to tell apart. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it is very important to understand the habitat that these are in. And you just mentioned the name of the new species right there, Hokotoy, yes. right? It's really interesting. I've never seen somebody come up with a specific epithet, Hokotoy, in the way you did. How did you pick that name? You know, you can know species a lot of using different different traits. So a lot of people use morphological traits. Other people use ecological traits. But in this case, we want to honor a Mexican mycologist with this species. So... 
So Hokato is the acronym of acronym of uh, Jose Castillo Tobar. So we are using the first two names, the first two letters of the name and the, of the given name and the surname of Jose Castillo Tobar. Uh, right, so, so that's Jose, J-O, uh-huh. and then Castillo, C-A, and then Tobar, uh-huh. which is B-T-O. So there's your ho ka and then the I at the it end. It's for the Latin because you know that, that uh, scientific names must be declined in Latin. So, so Haukato is to honor this species to, to this teacher of us. That's excellent. I've never seen that method for naming something. It's very, very clever. So fungi are very interesting in how they disperse, right? So they normally use spores. They can do their underground stuff where they just grow as a big organism. But to make new ones, they, they actually put off spores, right? right? And is there any way you can look at the spores of these things and tell that they're definitely from one thing or another? So, so we can talk about the, the funny stuff first and, and then the, the boring stuff. So, sure. So, um, this, uh, this species, this genus, Helvella, has uh, their spores within a sac. This sac is uh, called the ascus. And, and some uh, ascomycetes, that's, because, that, that's why they are called ascomycetes, because they produce their spores in these sacs called ascus. But uh, Elbella and other ascomycetes uh, uh, um, do a kind of explosion in the ascus to, to push the spores as far as they can. And when you took one of these mushrooms and, and, uh, and uh, put it in the sunlight, all the ascus are going to explode together at the same time. And it's, and, and it is, it is possible to hear the, 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 that thing like a and uh, you are going to see the, the, the powder, uh, being, uh, uh, like, like, uh, just like powder uh, going out of the mushroom. Uh, so you can see the spores going out like, a, like a cloud of powder. And you can hear the when when they are that all the ascus are exploding together. So this mechanism, these spores are called ballistospores because they are they are expulsed together. Yeah, ballistospores. I've never heard that term. That's great. Yes. So 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 that's the that's the 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 funny part. But uh, the the boring part that that we have to do as mycologists is that. For mushroom identification, the, the most important feature are the spores. So we have to go to the microscope. We have to cut uh, the mushroom in very thin slices to see the, the, the ascus and the spores in the microscope. And we have to count and to measure them. A lot of spores uh, have to be counted from each of the collections. So that's a kind of boring. You have to spend a lot of hours counting and measuring spores to get uh, their characteristics. And is it easy to tell any of this, at least the genera apart using the spores? Can you even tell species apart sometimes just looking only at the spores? The species. The, the genera are, are told about uh, with the general morphology of the mushroom and, and the species may be told, up, told apart with the spores characteristics. Oh, wow. So, But you, it requires a microscope and often a scanning electron microscope, right? Like SEM? Sometimes. Uh, this genus, Elbelas, Elbela has a smooth spores. So, so the spores are like, uh, like a little balloons, like elliptical balloons. And they are, they, 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 the spore surface is, is thin 
and it is not ornamented. So you don't need uh, uh, um, uh, electric an electronic microscope. Sure. But within the same um, uh, order, the pesticides, there are other very important fungi as as the truffles. You know, the truffles are the most expensive fungi in the world, and and their spores are ornamented. And uh, f- f- you need a uh, uh, electronic microscope to look at look at that uh, details. Excellent. And let's finish this off then with the question I always like to ask at the end. Why is it important that people should know about these fungi? Obviously, they have some economic importance, but there has to be even more than that. Can you tell us why our typical listener of this podcast should know about these fungi? Yes, I'm going to say about this particular species. You know, uh, when we was when we were using the, the common name Elbella lacunosa to name this species, you came to the to the idea that this is a widespread species in the whole northern hemisphere and it is very abundant. So then you can use as much as you want. But when you realize that that's not the true, that that the truth is that this is a species. Uh, just restricted to central Mexico, just to sacred fir forests, and that these forests are very endangered because of, of, of land use change and, and climate change, then you realize that this species is also endangered and, uh, and that uh, we should have a more detailed and more, and we, we should be more conscious about its use because we can uh, we can damage the, the populations uh, so so the conservation of this fungi is to is linked together to the conservation of sacred fir forest but we also have to uh, take into account the culture of people that use them so how to ensure that we can continue using the mushroom without uh, risking its future that's the that's the the thing that we have to figure out now. That's a great answer, too, and thank you very much. I appreciate that you took the time to come on the podcast all the way from Mexico City, and I I look forward to hopefully talking to you again when your next paper comes out and you've described at least a couple more of these species and we can revisit all of this. So, Roberto, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and I look forward to our next time we're able to talk. Thank you very much, Brian. It was a pleasure and uh, um, um, greetings to all your audience. Once again, Dr. Roberto Garibay Orihel's paper is in the April 23 issue of Phytotaxa. And the title of the paper is Helvella Hokatoi, a new species from H. lacunosa complex with cultural importance in central Mexico, Aves religiosa forests. See the episode details for a link to his paper. And to learn more about Roberto, check out the show notes for a link to his ResearchGate page and to his university page. Be sure to follow New Species on Twitter, at Podcast Species. And like the podcast on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash New Species Podcast. And if you'd like to support this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash New Species Podcast. <laughs>